Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word timing. Timing, simply put, is a particular point or period of time when something happens. Getting to the heart of the matter, though, timing is the skill or action of judging the right moment in a situation or activity at which to do something. Here to discuss is my dear friend, Marta Raven, who knows a thing or two or three about timing and how important it is in all aspects of life. Marta is an executive producer, showrunner, and creator who started her career as a stand-up comedian. Talk about timing. Mm-hmm. Eventually working as a writer and on-camera talent for MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, and NBC before transitioning to producing and heading up celebrated live events, series, and specials for MTV, Bravo, Nickelodeon, We, Oxygen, and VH1, including MTV's Total Request Live, Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Awards, and VH1's Live and Love and hip-hop reunions. Marta has also created and developed original formats like Long Island Medium, and most recently launched the Sharpton Sisters on Fox Soul. Welcome, Marta. Thank you, Barb. Thank you. I didn't realize you were gonna, you needed my bio because you were gonna read the whole bio. I would have given something much tighter. Ah! Do you want to send your bio? I love reading your bio. I want everyone to know your credits. I would have really. Talk about timing. You thought that I spent too much time on your credits. And I'm like, I could keep going. I actually edited. We didn't even talk about Get Out of My Room, which is a show that you created that I was lucky enough to work on. So let let us talk about time. Why did you choose this word? I chose this word because I think it is something that no matter what you're doing in life and what field you're in, timing matters. When you, you know, walk into a room, when you read a room, when you decide to, you know, make a call, not make a call, just all of it, communication with anybody, you know, if you have an agenda that you want to talk about with somebody, but they, you know, come in and you can tell they're not really in the mood to talk about anything, bad timing, not the time to do it, you know, so it's, I think timing is universal. I think specifically to our business, um, it's timing has always mattered. I started as a stand-up, as you know, you are one of the, not few people, but I feel like, because thankfully YouTube did not exist when I was doing comedy. You know, okay, you are so underselling because I had the privilege of seeing you just before the pandemic at the, was it the comedy? No, Westside Comedy well, Club. That was God, like, you're hilarious. No, 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 no. That was like, but that was like a one-time return to the stage. I'm saying my- I get it. I just want everyone to know you are really freaking funny and can tell a joke. And this gets, we're going to circle back to this, but you're one heck of a storyteller. But I also, okay, since you brought it up, I'm going to go there because um, the thing, so timing matters. And, it, and it's just such a great word to stretch all over this podcast because- there is, so obviously timing is everything in comedy. And then we, I want to get into for people to understand, it's like, there's a way to land a joke. I mean, you learn about timing and there's structure that relates to storytelling, how you understand the construction of a joke and what timing is. There also timing relates to your work as a producer because how we time out a show and what the beats are, which is part of timing. And so that relates, maybe people haven't even thought about this, that relates that if you're even developing a keynote speech or a presentation, 
you know, in your job and you have nothing to do with being on camera, but you still have to communicate the timing matters, not only like which day of the week you chose to pitch or which month or what's going on, you know, in the industry writ large, is this the right time to be doing this? But there's the actual, like, what are the beats? What are the order? What's the pacing? I, I'm obsessed with this word. I'm so glad you chose it. I had never even thought about it. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a really big word. And I think especially even between linear and digital, because in, you know, with linear Mm. television, it's, it's always, you know, you pad your act one, you want your act one to be longer and you want to kind of hook them in act one. And, you know, with, so by the time you go to that first commercial, you've kind of gotten as much as you can out of your audience and, you know, that they're going to stay with you because you're trying to get that rating to keep going. And obviously those metrics don't really matter anymore in our new world. And with digital, you're, there's no commercial. So, you know, it doesn't seem to matter in the same way, but it, it does because you want to just put your best stuff up first. You need to get them. You need to get them quickly. You need to just make sure that you're hooking your audience in. That Wait, wait, I want to sit with that because you are a thousand percent right. And I work with a lot of clients about that who, especially if they come from cable or linear television, understand how in digital, we don't want the long-winded intro that then gets through. Like, you've got to tell me what we're here for. And there's also, we start with the conclusion. We're not building up. We're not doing, you know, scripted narrative where we're playing to a crescendo and some big reveal. I want to know the ending up front because you want to give me a reason to stick around to see how you're going to unfold it. So that timing alone. And then obviously for anybody who doesn't know, and I love to talk about this is the YouTube Content Creator Academy because timing in digital, there's so many, I mean, the the metrics matter. What I mean in that, so in digital, something, things are often measured in 30 seconds. Right. And are you continuing to keep people's eyeballs every 30 seconds matters? So that's just a little takeaway nugget for everyone. So let's go back to how did you learn about timing as a comic? I feel like just trial and error timing as a comic. I don't think it was something I was consciously aware of in my 20s, you know, that like I, it wasn't like I took a stand-up comedy class and, you know, there was the unit on timing. I think, (laughs) um, you know, you just very quickly figure out, you know, kind of how your bump bumps work and why sometimes they don't work. And also, you know, how to, I, I feel like timing and reading the room really Mm. relate to one another. I would always um, make sure that, you know, I was at the club, but way before my spot, because I wanted to watch the room because I wanted to know what I was walking into, you know, and what had transpired before I got there, you know, and, you know, there are certain comics I mean a lot of comics you know I I would be doing one of the early spots somebody like at that time in the 90s like a Dave Attell who was running all over town doing you know seven spots a night to make $165 (laughs) you know would just like burst in and it didn't matter what was going on in the room you know did it it didn't matter he you know he would just burst in and he's gonna kill no matter what and his energy was gonna kill no matter what but as an up-and-coming comic I really felt like I needed to know, you know, like who killed, who flopped, you know, which people had already been made fun of, you know, where I could do a callback to, you know, if if my stuff wasn't working, you know, I could just figure out, you know, something that had happened like 20 minutes before with the waitress and, you know, try to milk that for a little bit <laughs> because it made the audience feel like you're, you were part of this experience, you know, like you've been in this with us. 
Um, that's and that's enormously valuable. Yeah. Did you always have a sense of this without even realizing it, even to stop thinking about now? Like even as a kid, you were like kind of a pretty hyper aware EQ so, savant. It's so interesting you asked me that part because yes, I don't think I realized it, but when I was younger, you know, at the dinner table and even, you know, at the Passover Seder, like <laughs> I learned really quickly, you know, when you could kind of chime in with a funny and when it was like, oh no, they're talking about the plague. It's not the right time to make a joke, but you know, <laughs> but that's how I, I was the funny one in the family. And so, you know, and, and I picked my moments well, and I, I had, you know, kind of an old school dad and, you know, it's like, I'm reading the paper. Don't bother me. You kind of had a like pick your moments and if you were going to pick a moment you kind of had to make it uh you know da, 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 da. like okay daddy that's my time bye you know and hopefully have his credit card by the time he walked out of the room no but i i love this real world application as opposed to a corporate application of notion of emotional intelligence because you're still talking about whether it's at home or you know on stage that you're you're literally reading the room, you're picking up on energy, you're picking up on physical cues, you're reading body language, facial expressions, and and then as well as like what's the actual conversation that's going on? Yeah, and and totally, you know, has helped me in the corporate world. You know, just in mm. a, in a large meeting, you know, like how many you know meetings in at fifteen fifteen mm. in the big conference rooms and. You know, if you're going to, you know, where we're all, everyone's ideating and blue skying and brainstorming, but th that's a lot of pressure. So if you're going to pick your moment to chime in with, you know, how we're going to make the next version of the view, that's not the view for like, you know, how many brainstorms have we had about that? <laughs> you want to, uh, you know, you want to pick your moment and you, and you want it to be kind of quick and funny and then all right that's my time you know wait <laughs> okay go. this is this is amazing because now we're getting into a really key takeaway and for anyone listening who doesn't know 1515 was mtv's uh, global headquarters back in the glory right. days of the 1990s where all this ideating took place so as an actual tangible takeaway for some an up-and-comer who's like wow and was really impressed that i read your entire bio which was actually edited and they're so like i want to do what marta's doing how do you develop that sense of timing or like, what are you actually, I meant like kind of a checklist um, or filters for like, okay, I'm new in that conference room. When, do, when do I know when to jump in or what should I be looking for that says, this is my moment. Cause I'm not the top banana here. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. So, well, this is a, a little trick that somebody told me, but has stayed with me the let's just start with the best time for a meeting and this is scientifically proven i can't remember where we can google it later but tuesdays at 11 tuesdays at 11 is the best time for a meeting <laughs> it's the best time for a phone call it's the best time for a meeting you know that is like a sweet spot you know but people are still it's not monday it's not friday it's not you know wednesday's got its own vibe but by thursday like we're drinking you know it, it's like tuesday at 11 you're still like yeah all right i'm at work showing up so good to know and and obviously now things are remote so you know whether or not you are physically in a conference room and of course for all you young people out there sit at the table except 
if there's like really not a lot of room and there's a ton of grown-ups, then sit on the radiator. But yeah, for the most part, sit at the table and listen and take notes. I feel like, you know, whether it, not on your phone, because it looks like you're checking your phone, but take, take notes so you can be listening and understanding how you can be additive. You mm. never just want to repeat what somebody else said. That's the worst. And you don't want to interrupt somebody. Sometimes you get that feeling inside like, oh, I've got the answer. I want to say it. I want to say it. And, you know, you can just take your moment. You can, there will be time for you. Nobody is going to not let you speak, you know, unless they're a total asshole. But, <laughs> you know, you can have that great idea. And let's say the meetings kind of shifted from when you had your great idea then you kind of pick a moment where things have died down a little bit and you're like, Hey, you know what? I wanted to just circle back to what blah, blah, blah said before about timing and ideating and why it's so important. I was thinking, yes. And, you know, like, so you are validating somebody else's thought in the room. You are not trying to make it look like your own. You're showing that you are engaged and involved and, and you were listening. And you were listening and then you're adding a nugget. But if you've got nothing to add, do not say anything. Just listen and do not check your phone. And don't that's incredibly it. helpful. I know. And actually, and actually, one of my favorite executives who you know very well, I think too, Jay Schmalholtz, one of the things I loved about working for him at Nickelodeon was he never brought his phone to meetings. He wow. was the most present executive he would just kind of walk in, you know, like it, somebody would maybe, you know, hand him a, a worksheet mm -hmm. or whatever we were working on. And, um, and he never had his phone. He was present. He was with you. He was quick. He was decisive, but he gave you his full attention. He never brought a cell phone in the room. Okay. That's a and, superpower. And, and it seems it should not be remarkable, but boy, is that noteworthy and incredible. We I want to ask you about timing, then also in your own life, how you knew the timing was right to set, begin to transition away from performing on stage and start to focus one on writing, but then into producing. That wasn't uh, calculated. That was mm -hmm. not something that I was intentional about. I feel like, especially now in my career and now that there's so much information out there and that you're constantly trying to see where the tides are shifting you have to be intentional and you, and you have to say okay this is my plan for me this is my goal I want to do xx and x and, and get here when I was in my 20s I did not have any sort of goal other than to get up on stage and you know look at me like <laughs> I'm gonna make you laugh and, and um <laughs> you know, to get that feedback from the audience, you just like you, you've, you've fed off of it. So mm -hmm. it was like, I needed to get on stage and make people laugh and feel that coming back to me. I, I like literally needed it. And, you know, you're only as good as your last set. So you have a bad set. You feel like shit about yourself until you have a good set, because, you know, there's just nothing that's going to take away that bad set other than a good set. And so what was happening was I was, in my late 20s and I had met my husband and we were engaged and I would be on stage late at night during the week and 
I would be out of my head. I would be, I would find myself on stage. Like, why am I up here? Like, Mm. why? I just want to like be home cuddling, watching TV. Like, I, like, then why do these people need to hear me talk? And what, like, just (laughs) the whole, my whole, um, your heart wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And just also your heart was at home with your, my heart was at home and my need to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and also my my community. I think in the the '90s comedy scene in New York was an incredible thing to be a part of. And you know, I I did both the clubs sometimes, but definitely felt much more at home in the alternative comedy scene. And my whole group of people and my representation all moved to LA, and so I kind of you know, didn't have my tribe with me. So it also wasn't as fun, like when your people aren't around. This also brings up the notion too, though, I'm a big believer and it's come up a million times in the podcast so far is, you know, creators have to create. If you're a creative person, it's about creating and not the delivery system. You're an incredible storyteller and you are um, an incredible ideator. So it's like, just as you're telling me this is you got to the place where it's like, Stand up or alternative comedy is not necessarily the medium or the platform that I need to be storytelling. So you're actually doing what you always did, which is telling stories and communicating and lifting us up. You just keep adapting to different mediums and platforms. Yes. yes. And it and I, I don't feel like I quite it, it took me years to kind of find my own through line and look back and realize, mm. like, oh, I have been doing that. That's I've been I've just been telling stories and making people laugh. That it's the same thing, you know, whether it's on stage in a conference room, writing a script, you know, coming up with, you know, 10 questions to ask Beyonce, <laughs> like on TRL, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's all the same thing. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, especially stand up, if you don't want to be up on that stage, get off the stage, you know, like, it, it's like, you have to want to be up there because it's so you know, like, unless it's, you know, your lifeblood, which it is for so many comics, like if, if when you start to need that lifeblood and also you realize like, oh, there are these people who have these day jobs and they write and, you know, you get this check and, you know, <laughs> there's this whole other way. We're getting like health benefits and other things. Stand up is like the bravest thing ever. I can't, I can't even fathom having that level of courage. But also, I mean, Barb, like, you know, how many times did I audition for you? I think also it was that um, being on camera and, and you know, feeling like the only way that I can, you know, make money and have a career is to either be on stage or be on camera. And I mean, your auditions at VH1 were definitely fun and in my wheelhouse, you know, whether I got it or not, it kind of made sense that I was they're trying to do it. But when I would go on, you know, these commercial auditions and, you know, or just like regular acting and trying to be somebody other than Marta, I wasn't getting the parts. And and what was that like for you? Because I mean, that's something we sometimes see on TV, but to describe it, because I, again, to me, it takes an enormous amount of courage. Oh, it was, (laughs) I would, (laughs) the only way that I could like do the audition well was that I had to rewrite it which I'm sure now looking back, I'm sure whoever wrote or produced, you know, that script in the room was like, what the 
fuck? You know, <laughs> but I, you know, that was the only way I could make it my own was that I had to like take that concept and tweak it, you know, to kind of Marta, you know, Marta size it or whatever. And I, you know, sometimes it worked. Sometimes they wanted that and it would be hilarious. And, you know, I, maybe I'd book something, maybe I didn't, but other times I just felt like, okay, why am I not, you know, getting the Tide commercial? You know, am I too fat? Do I, you know, do they not like my smile? Like you, I became mm. so worried about just how I looked because if if there's one line about Tide, you know, and I'm not getting it, I don't think it's, a, I mean, maybe it's about how I delivered the line, but it's also like, you know, I wasn't cute enough. I wasn't this enough. And then you'd see whoever got it, you know, a few months later and it's like, oh, they wanted that girl. Um, and then also even, even when my represent, when my uh, manager was putting me up for the Tide commercials and she was like, yeah, they're looking for a young mom. But I'm like, what? I was like, you're putting me up for the young mom roles? Like, wait, I'm a, like, <laughs> oh, mom- wow. The sense of identity. This yeah, is who I, I am. What? I'm not a mom. I don't do laundry. You know, <laughs> I, I make out with a lot of guys, and like, I send my laundry out. And yeah, like, I should. I don't have a baby in the background. <laughs> I was also so offended. You know, just do you think that maybe the casting director and the advertising agency and the client were actually picking up not that you weren't fabulous, but maybe your energy was saying, I don't believe in being the Tide mom? I'm sure. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure like I was so, you know, get I would get in my head about all that stuff. And and Can I we was, take a moment, I, just a Tide moment. Can I just want to, because I always want to manifest this and you and I are into our you know, January manifesting with Gabby Bernstein, but I am never more than a few inches from a Tide to go stick. And it is my dream that Tide one day, you know, sponsor the podcast. Oh my God. I love it. Putting it out there. No, I feel like, (laughs) no, we could do a whole thing where it's like moments to go before your podcast and you've got a little spot and what does Barb do? Oh my God. It's about, she's about to go live on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I got to tell you, I have helped out so many people. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Moving on. Sorry about that interruption, but Tide, we love you. Okay. Now moving on too, because something that you had mentioned in a note to me was um, about timing was also talking about pivot culture. And it made me stop to think too, not only are we living in a world of pivot culture, uh, but also just the rate of acceleration, which I talk about all the time, because like the 90s seems like this really long, wonderful, you know, decade, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, 2000 to 2023, just a giant blur like things are moving at this warp speed so now this is also a place where timing and I guess being prepared in the sense of like doing whatever you can behind the scenes so that you're you you're ready to take advantage of timing if I'm putting that correctly yes I think that there's you know there's there's no time there's no room to be figuring it out as we go or you know okay it's all right you'll just kind of wing it And I think that no matter what business you're in, it's expected that you're going to go to a website and you're going to click on something and it's going to entertain you. 
you know, what, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, a new kind of tide, whether it's your hosting reel, whether it's your producing reel, whatever it is, you know, that it, it just has to grab you or people are on to the next thing. We have so many screens going, we have so many tabs going and it's kind of like, you know, what is going to grab me? And I, and I think that what I never realized as when I was younger was to really like look at myself critically like that and to, you know, Mm. just always say to yourself, okay, if I was the viewer, if I'm the person turning this on, if, if I'm the person, I, I think about it sometimes if I send an email to somebody that, you know, I'm reaching out to for the first time or trying to connect with or trying to kind of bait them into a conversation or a pitch or just like whatever it is, you know, sometimes I'll just write the email, put it away and then be like, okay, pretend that you're that person. Now open the email and, you know, and and just to see like, what does that feel like? What does that subject line feel like? What does that look like on the page? Oh my God, why did I write so many words? Like this person doesn't know me. Why would I put like three paragraphs of, you know, they're not going to read it. Like it's too much to read. And, and just kind of to be able to look at what you're putting out there and, you know, and think about people's attention span and and just assume that nobody has time, nobody cares. And if you've got to make your point quickly. That is so well said. Wow. I feel like it took and- too long. I think it took too long. I feel like I lost people after the first five seconds. <laughs> Are they well, you had me. I was hanging on your every word because that was spot on advice. So I always got to make sure everything that we do is mobile friendly and the harsh thing we actually have to realize, and we are all guilty of it. If guilty is even the right word, we all skim now we're skimmers. So every word has to count. And this is a plug for the book that Axios put out called smart brevity. I recommend it to everybody. I'd love for them to sponsor my podcast too, but it's a, it just came out at the end of last year and it's really about adapting your written and oral communications, whether it's podcasts, presentations, emails, anything to contemporary life effectively. Oh, that's so interesting. And to your yeah. point, it's about like, also know what your word count is. Oh, And then understand that 250 words, it depends on the person, but 150 to 250 words translates to a minute, which is an important thing for any of us who are communicators should really know how long your thing takes, but actually how know how long your communication is going to take for that other person. Yeah, because a lot of times when you know, I'm deciding whether or not to read an article and they say four minute read, three minute read, you know, it's like, okay, I'll do it. You know, they they kind of pioneered that. And the other day, yeah, looking at something in the New York Times going, wow, 10 minutes, this better be a really good deep dive. Right? I know. I feel like the Wall Street Journal gets me with like, they've got a lot of four minute reads. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of my sweet spot for an article. But also, you know, I, I also think that what's hard is that we live in a cover your ass culture. So a lot of times, you know, if you're communicating and you're, let's just say you're, you know, in some sort of a corporation or company, and obviously everyone communicates through email and you need to put out whatever thing you've got to say, and you have to make sure that all the stuff that needs to be in that email is in that email, because otherwise, a million people could forward or chime in or why isn't that this or da, da, da. 
but you also know that, you know, the people you're sending into, like who you really need to respond to it, you know, who you like really need an answer from, so you can continue with your job, that they aren't going to take the time to read that whole thing. But it's, it's there because you need all those words and all those things to be like, I said it, it's in the email, go back to the email, I said it, you know, CYA, CYA. So what I do um, with those type of things. So uh, like for, to be more specific, let's say I'm say, sending a cut of a show to the network executives to watch, you know, this is, you know, rough cut two or rough cut three. And so you're saying, hi, everyone, please see the link for rough cut three. And then you have all your caveats of all the shit that's wrong with it. So <laughs> nobody can tell you that the color looks bad or the audio doesn't sound good and rough cut lady. And you know that you know that that Chiron's off, but like you're gonna fix it um, because God forbid you you know seem like somebody who like messed up a Chiron. I mean, cause you, you can't, you can't mess up a Chiron. <laughs> um, but you also know that you need a response, you need feedback or else you're not gonna deliver on time. So then I wind up just like for the people who I really need to respond to me, I just bold the things that they need to know. <laughs> like rough cut three, <laughs> notes due by then, you know, next cut coming out, see you later. Like, so it's kind of, there's the long cover your ass stuff and then there's the shit you really need to say. Okay, masterclass with Marta. That was so good and brilliant. This is why I think people I, tune in to actually learn how this works because that's an example of spoon feeding. Don't be afraid to spoon feed. There are two things because you're getting what you need, but you're also making your reader's life easier. You're actually directing them so they don't have to go through all this gobbledygook and try to figure it out. So you're much likelier to have get the result you want by directing people where you wanted them to go and you made it easier for them. I'm also a big believer, not only in the bold, but the bullet point key yes. takeaways, pay attention to. I know you're so good with the bullet point. I, I struggle and, you know, it's so funny. Cause you're the queen of formats in television, I, but I'm yeah, but no, I, I know. And it's funny because my but formatting an email, that's very funny, Marta. It's, yeah. Like it's just, <laughs> You know, I got to like, I mean, what's horrible is that my initial response is like, I got to bring in a kid to do it. You know, I got to get the PA, but there's no more PAs. I mean, who's, there's no, like, I would literally need to have like a PA, you know, sitting next to me in my home at all times, just to help me with the computer and help me, you know, with the phone. And I mean, sometimes that can be my kid, but you know, it used to be at work, you know, you just pick like the youngest person and be like, could you come here for a sec? Like, because that's fabulous. Because one, you, you have to know what your strengths are and play to them. And two, it's now we're manifesting that your your sidekick, your virtual person, is always going to be there to translate your ideas and visions into a beautiful formatted email or memo or something. Would you come back? I love this. I could talk to you all day. I could literally talk to you all day. You're welcome anytime. And you know what? If you promise, because I would love you to come back and walk us through um, idea to execution in creating a television show. Because you've done it oh. so many times. And I got to tell you, the camera ready enable universe would love it. Oh, I would love that. That oh. I can, yeah, that I can do. I can't, oh. I can't format an email, but sure. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> I love no you. Problem. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you are interested in coaching for you or your team, please shoot me an email via my website, ableintermedia.com. And please be sure to download my free ebook. 
12 tips for success on camera and off. And as always, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already.